Support for Think Humanities is brought to you by Spalding University's Sina Jeter Naslin, Karen Mann Graduate School of Writing. Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 51 years. Here's your host, Bill Goodman. Welcome to the podcast. John Wynn Miller will join us on October the 21st at the Kentucky Book Festival with his novel, The Hunt for the Peggy Sea, a gripping World War II saga pitting good against evil in the high seas, a page-turner if we've ever read one. Miller is a former investigative reporter, foreign correspondent, editor, newspaper publisher, screenwriter, indie movie producer, and now first-time author. I'm delighted to have him on the podcast. John Miller, um, it is uh, a, a pleasure to meet you for the first time after <laughs> our paths surely would have crossed somewhere, but you've been off uh, gathering information for this novel. Yeah, yeah. well, thank you for having me. I'm surprised we haven't met because I grew up in Lexington and worked at the Herald-Leader for a while and then, as you said, traveled all over the world, so... Well, uh, this is a, a marvelous read, and we're going to tell folks uh, who are listening to us today uh, all about it. So let me just ask you, uh, with all of your experience, uh, certainly the journalism and foreign correspondent, uh, uh, we'll leave the screenwriting and, and that sort of thing uh, for a later uh, discussion. Um, tell me about how you first thought about writing this, uh, your first novel, uh, the idea, the genesis, and uh, where it uh, came from. Uh, you're not going to believe it, but it's a true story. Uh, years ago, uh, my daughter Allison, who's now an, an actress, and my wife Margo and I were watching some terrible action-adventure movie on TV. And I kept saying, I know I can write a better screenplay than that. And that night, I had a dream. And when I woke up the next day, I knew the first scene, I knew the last scene, and I knew the name of the ship, the Peggy C, which is totally bizarre because I have never been on a U-boat. I've never been on a tramp steamer. I have no idea where the name of the ship came from. And I have not been to most of the places I write about. So I had to do tons of research, but that was the inspiration. Originally, it was a screenplay. Did, I actually got some interest but didn't sell it and then put it aside for my journalism career, my day job. And then when uh, COVID hit, I said, I'm going to sit down and write that novel I've always wanted to do. The whole reason I got into journalism uh, at the University of Kentucky, working for the Kentucky Colonel, was that I wanted to learn how to write. I wanted to be a novelist, but I didn't know how to write. And I had nothing interesting to write about. So, uh, so 30, 40 years later, I finally get sit down to write the novel. Uh, I, in conversation that we had uh, before we started uh, our broadcast, uh, I told you that I had uh, a friend who devoured Patrick, uh, Patrick O'Brien's uh, uh, British uh, novels and uh, naval uh, novels of the Napoleonic Wars and and I just wanted to know if, if you, during your uh, journalism career and, and maybe during your life, 
Did you read a particular genre of, of war novels that gave you the idea that you could do the same thing? Uh, I loved historical fiction. My favorite author is actually uh, Colleen McCullough, who wrote the Masters of Rome series. It's about Julius Caesar and Sulla and Marius. It's just spectacular uh, novels that went into great detail about Rome and Roman laws and the battles. Uh, but then I also liked uh, really exciting writers like Frederick Forsythe, who, you know, the uh, uh, Day of the Jackal, where he planned the ass- attempted assassination. Absolutely loved books like that. Uh, so I decided if I'm going to write something, I want it to be in that genre. I want it to be historically accurate, but kind of a mystery, kind of a thriller, and it's got to have a love story in it. Uh, it's got to have some heart to it. It can't be just plain old action. And the movies I watch, I get very frustrated because they all have a really stupid chase scene in them, with the exception <laughs> of the Bourne movies. So there's nothing bad in the Bourne movies. Uh, and so I came up with the idea, what if I had a really slow speed chase on a, on a rusty cargo ship going over 3,000 miles being chased by a very fast U-boat? And how could you make that interesting? Um, so that it, it just developed over time. Well, people will, um, when they read uh, The Hunt for the Peggy Sea, will realize that uh, it is about that chase and, and is about uh, uh, set in uh, uh, World War II, set in 1941. Uh, but I want you to tell our listeners uh, more about the story, uh, almost chronologically from the beginning. Uh, tell us about some of the characters, and uh, we'll, uh, without giving away too much, yeah, uh, we'll, yeah. we'll paint the picture of, uh, of the novel that you've written. Well, I'll uh, give you the what is known in the movie business as the log line, so what sort of the, sums it up. It's, it's, uh, it's about an American smuggler who struggles to rescue a Jewish family from Nazi-occupied Amsterdam on his rusty cargo ship, which infuriates his crew of misfits and sparks a high-speed or slow-speed chase by a a brutal U-boat captain who's been on revenge. So my hero is Captain uh, Jake Rogers. He's rumored to have fled America because of a murder, and no one knows much about his background. He's been a—worked his way up on tramp steamers— uh, for 20 years, uh, and is really a smuggler. That's the way they make their money. This is, he's on an American flag ship right before America enters the war, and he's still going from port to port looking for cargo, primarily things he can smuggle. Um, and he gets an assignment in Amsterdam where he smuggles out a Jewish family, and first for money, a lot of money, but then for love. And uh, his crew doesn't know what he's done until later, and then they're stopped by a U-boat uh, commanded by the notorious uh, Captain Victor Brower, known as Bloody Brower. And he tricks his way out of it, Rogers does, and escapes. And Brower on the U-boat uh, can't 
his his career is already shaky, and he can't let a a cargo ship outrun him, particularly because they have his boarding party as hostage. And so he has to go to extraordinary lengths to catch the the Peggy C and protect his honor. Uh, in the meantime, he goes progressively crazier. Um, you know, in, in movies, the good guys always have an arc. You know, they start out kind of bad and gruff and uh, noncommittal, and by the end, you know, they're heroes. And but the bad guy stays the bad guy. He just gets worse <laughs> and worse. So anyway, that's that's sort of the crux of the story, but it's a 3,000-mile chase, uh, all historically accurate, and go to places and have things happen that actually happened during the war. So the research um, and the journalism that you um, first learned at the, at the Colonel and practiced for uh, a number of years uh, after, uh, do you look at that as what gave you the the grounding for the research that you did uh, for the screenplay, uh, then what has now become the novel? Uh, yes, uh, I had to first. I had to learn how to write. I had to learn how to describe things, and then as I matured as a reporter, particularly as a foreign correspondent, you had to really report with all five senses. Because this was in the days before, you know, cell phones or video cameras. So I had to put my readers there. I had to tell them what the heat was like, what it smelled like, what they were, what brand of cigarette they were smoking. Did they, you know, put their glasses on and take them off and clean them? And really put the reader in uh, in the scene. And you were primarily a print journalist. Yes. I had to do broadcast uh, when I was with the AP they would pay us extra if we would do a 30-second uh, broadcast. We would record something and, and play it over the telephone to New York. And so I did a lot of that. Um, I was frequently my own photographer because I was going to places that were uh, bizarre. I was in Ethiopia or Eritrea then. I was in Chad with the Libyans. I was in Libya a lot uh, and traveled to India with the Pope John Paul II for 12 cities in 10 days. So uh, you just had to learn how to, one, write quickly, you had to write clearly, and you had to be able to figure out, how do I explain this? What what does that mean? Um, again, there was and, no, no Wikipedia back then. And so. that's good journalism, and that's yeah. what uh, I'm sure you uh, taught your, uh, your students uh, when you were teaching journalism and when you came back to Transylvania yep. and at UK. But m- most uh, uh, other professionals, uh, writing uh, instructors, MFA uh, schools, will tell most journalists um, that they don't know how to write anything but journalism. Yep. Uh, writing uh, even nonfiction uh, or fiction is sometimes a real challenge for a journalist. Um, how did you, how were you able to overcome uh, years and years of, of writing journalism to, to writing fiction and, and a novel? Well, a few things. When I read uh, over the years uh, novels that I liked, I actually underlined passages and I would keep those books uh, and because I would be astounded at particularly sentence structure. I'd say, God, how did they figure out how to do that? And so I have on my computer, I have a list of interesting paragraph styles. And then 
I bought some books on how to write novels. Uh, I did a video on how to do uh, screenplay, how to build the arc of the characters. Screenplays are basically three acts, and there's certain things that happen at the exact same point in most good screenplays. Uh, but then when I actually sat down to write, I originally made the mistake of trying to write like a writer. I was trying to write like uh, John le Carre or, uh, or Faulkner or Hemingway, and that's just not me. So I went back and rewrote journalistically, but knowing how to build tension in a scene, uh, how to pace things, how to have uh, a beginning, middle, and end, how to construct that. Um, and then also how to vary your sentences using very active verbs and very specific descriptions. Some criti critics of, of the books say that I give too much detail. I don't think you can give too much detail because I want you to really be in there and smell the, the, the stink in a U-boat or feel the cold that the poor soldiers or sailors had to put up with. So it was write, rewrite, 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 rewrite. So you did a lot. Oh, yes, yes. And I even have a list of words and things to look for that I'll search for. Anything that ends with L-Y, particular types of adverbs. Take I'll, it out. I'll go out and uh, uh, try to either rewrite it or figure out another way to say it. Or Occasionally I'll leave them in, but not very often. Yeah. Um, you, I think I also read or heard you say that uh, one of the keys to historical fiction is the element of surprise. Yes. Why is that important? Uh, you want to keep the reader's interest, and you want them to come to a point like I did when I was doing the research. I would say, what? I had no idea. I've got to get that in the book somehow. So I'd... I'd I love having those uh, exciting. I'm trying to think of one of my favorites. It was Aztec by Gary Jennings. I don't know if you've ever read that, but it's it's just it's the only book that I read. And at one point, I literally jumped out of my chair. <laughs> I was so surprised at what happens. That's the effect that I wanted, and I want the readers, particularly if you're knowledgeable about World War II history. I want you to read stuff that you've not read other places, or if you have, you haven't really. Um, gone into great detail. I mean, there's a lot of little things that uh, I throw in that I, I'll give you one example. There, uh, the Battle of Britain, which is not in my book, but no. uh, after it was over, the head of the RAF, the Royal Air Force, said there was three reasons why we won. The bravery of the pilots, the uh, Rolls-Royce Merlin engines, and the appropriate fuel. And I have, what what's he talking about? Well, it uh, was called BAM 100. It was British Air Ministry 100 octane fuel. The Germans only had 86 octane because they got all their fuel from coal. And this 100 uh, was invented after Dunkirk by uh, Standard Oil, which allowed the RAF planes to fly 30% faster than they had before when the Germans had fought them at Dunkirk. So they were, they were a complete surprise that they could outmaneuver the German planes. So I figured 
I've never heard of that, and I need to work that into my plot somehow. And it actually does play a pretty critical role. Yeah, it sure does. You, you do bring <laughs> that in. So that's where that came from. Uh, so let me um, ask you another uh, sort of particular question. And um, this is all done, I, I hope, in an effort to uh, entice the listener to yes. uh, to talk with you uh, at the book festival to buy your book or uh, certainly to read it, uh, whether they're at the book festival or not. Um, and it, how did you know the intricacies of the operation of, of, of the ships that you were uh, putting in your novel? Uh, for example, the, the U-boat had a diesel engine, and it also had an electric uh, engine. Yeah. And at one point, uh, in order to gain speed on the Peggy C, uh, you were able to write uh, the instructions out where uh, both of them would be working at the same time, but it was going to drain the batteries down, and they would be, wouldn't be able to submerge. Right. Now, where did you find that fact? That was actually in one of the biographies or autobiographies of U-boat captains. There's quite a number of them out there, and I read them all. And I would go through, and I would be looking for particular little details just like that because I wanted it to be a surprise, and it surprised me when I found that. But that actually was done by, uh, I don't even remember which U-boat captain who did it. But I I also watched documentaries. I watched... um, German propaganda films of U-boat operators. I actually use a lot of the details uh, of what it looked like from uh, from a German documentary, German propaganda films. Uh, there's oral histories uh, in the, uh, the British Museum that you can listen to online. Uh, there's uh, interviews. So I, I, and I would go into books, and then the first thing I would do is I would look at their bi- bibliography and figure out, well, let me see if I can find that yeah. book somewhere. Of course, you were taking notes yes. the entire and, time. And uh, that became kind of overwhelming because I had so many notes, so many places. <laughs> I'll bet. Yeah, I would get to a point, and I said, wait a minute, I know I have that. Where? And I'd have to go back through. <laughs> Fortunately, because of ebooks, it's a lot easier to uh, annotate the ebooks and then you can search your notes. And there's also a way within Amazon to send all of your notes to one place, one website, where so I can search all of my notes to try to uh, figure it out. Yeah. Well, that we just gave you an example. You gave the example. Uh, I, I led you into a, talking about boats and, and engines and things like that. But the characters, uh, the the misfits, as you called them. Now it might be, um, it might have been easy to, um, uh, to to put together Captain Rogers, uh, sort of a swashbuckling, uh, a debonair. Uh, I, I can sort of see him. Yeah. I can see Miriam, beautiful and younger, and, and and their relationship and all that. But all of these other characters and their names, John Wynn. Where did you get all of those? Yeah. Nadal and 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 uh, the 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 name of the little Jewish boys and yeah. and uh, uh, is the the African Odasa Obasi Obasi. Where did you dig those up? Uh, it took a lot of time, but uh, I would uh, use the internet for some things. You know, I would look uh, for 
uh, German first names or German boy names or German surnames. Uh, with Obasi, Obasi is one of the main characters who yeah. is sort of the sidekick of Captain Rogers and is always trying to protect him. It's this huge Nigerian that uh, Rogers had rescued from a fight and has always sailed with him, even though he's not a sailor. Uh, actually, I did a research on Nigeria and looked for Nigerian boys' names and found Obasi, and then I looked for, well, what kind of Nigerian? He's a member of the Igbo tribe, which, okay, I've never heard of that. So I did the research on the Igbo tribe, and they carry a certain kind of knife. And so I have Obasi for the Igbo carrying a particular type of knife. He used it well. Yes, he does. (laughs) And uh, again, with the the Jewish names, here's one bizarre thing that happened is I was looking for the the Jewish family in this book are their Sephardic Jews. They're most, you know, know, they're not Ashkenazi from Eastern Europe, you know, who speak Yiddish. They're uh, Sephardic. They came from Spain and Portugal, and they speak a uh, Ladino, which is a type of uh, Hebrew, Spanish, Romanian, wherever they're located. Uh, So I was looking for a family name from a Dutch uh, family of Sephardic Jews, and the name I came up with was Maduro. Uh, and so Miriam Maduro and her father, Solomon. It turns out when I was doing research for the sequel is the Maduro family was actually a seagoing family hmm. and uh, owned uh, a lot of ships themselves in, uh, in the Car- Caribbean, and that one of their sons was actually a hero of the uh, resistance. And so I put him in the second novel. So I have this whole family. It, it was just yeah. it was just a lot of fun. I, I, and it was just... Well, happens. one of the other characters that, uh, that people will read about is um, this uh, uh, misfit who turns out to be uh, one of the uh, one of the detractors, one of the the, the bad guys, and he probably is a bad guy from the very beginning, so you know this is coming. This is not a spoiler. I'm not going to give a spoiler <laughs> alert, but that's the guy that has the, the, the southern accent from Alabama. <laughs> Where in the world, out on the uh, out on the high seas, uh, out of Amsterdam and, yeah. and, 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 and sailing in the Mediterranean and all that, and, and you've got this guy that, that has the, the thickest uh, <laughs> southern accent I've ever heard. Yeah, so I figured it would be fun. Actually, the, those crews... On the tramp steamers, they they too went from port to port. They weren't committed to one ship, and there were a lot of Americans who were in Europe uh, on those ships. Uh, a lot of Indians, a lot of Pakistanis. Uh, it was really international crew. And so he, what I wanted to do with the characters, and I had to have a long list because in order to operate the tramp steamer, there had to be a minimum of fourteen people. So I had to come up with names for all of them. Now, some of them have lines and some of them don't. But I needed a a bad, kind of bad guy on the ship and that I could make really despicable. And, <laughs> you and, did a good job yeah, there, too. <laughs> yeah, but believable. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, I think originally he was, he might have been Chinese. And then I said, no, then let's, let's do... Uh, an American, so <laughs> yeah, he was American, all right. Yeah, uh, from the deep south. Well, um, I'm going to ask you to read a, a passage, um, and uh, and again, this is something that um, 
that you're going to read from the um, uh, the head of the uh, of the U-boat that that makes the chase. He's at the end of his career. He's ha- having some problems establishing himself with with some of the uh, the, the the officials uh, who are starting to question his um, uh, intelligence, I guess, or his his abilities. And he has uh, had an incident where uh, some hostages were taken, and and that's a whole other part of the story. But um, this is John Wynn Miller, who is going to be with us uh, on uh, October the 21st at the Kentucky Book Festival, uh, and he's reading a passage. Uh, just set this up if you need to uh, uh, say a little bit more about what you're going to read. Yeah, this is uh, uh, Captain Victor Brower, who's the uh, head of the, the captain of the U-boat. Um, he has lost track of the Peggy C, and his career is on the line. He's getting angrier and angrier, and he gets so frustrated. At one point, he tells his crew to surface and to attack a neutral uh, three-mast schooner, which is a motorized ship, and this is actually based on true stories. Uh, Anyway, so this is how the uh, battle starts. They've surfaced. Uh, They're using the 8.8-centimeter cannon that they have on the front of U-boats. And so here we go. The gunner pulled the firing lanyard and blasted off a high-explosive round. It was impossible to miss at that range. The shells ripped into the schooner's bow, sending orange flames and debris high into the air. They fired again hitting amidships with devastating effect, the hull splitting into the air like a bucking bronco, with fragments of metal raining down on the sea. Some of the men on the schooner used knives to hack at the tangled ropes on suspended lifeboats. Flames engulfed the three masts above them. Fiery embers floated all around. Others plunged into the oily waters, only to be swallowed up by the freezing cold waves or burned alive in pools of flaming fuel. The ship was crippled but would not sink. Brower ordered round after round fired. It was no longer target practice. It was God's will, as in Deuteronomy. And when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. Screaming men clustered on the schooner's stern, struggling to hold on as the ship sank, its propeller pointing nearly straight up. The attack went on for almost an hour, until the gun overheated and jammed. The hapless ship swooshed below the surface, leaving a trail of floatsam and billowing clouds of black smoke. Alarm, 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 a hundred aircraft, 140 degrees, one of the four lookouts shouted, pointing off the stern into the sky, two British planes coming in low across the cresting waves. They were boxy, short Sunderland flying boat bombers, four engine U-boat hunters called tractors by the Germans. They were drawn to the flaming battle, seen like a moth to a campfire, one with a sky-high mushroom of flames visible for miles. Clear the bridge, make ready to dive, Brower screamed, as the lookout skidded down the hatch's ladder feet clear of the rungs and into the control room. The dive alarm klaxon shrilled, lights flashed, and the crew repeated alarm alarm from one end of the U-boat to the other. Up above, the gunners slipped and stumbled their way across the heaving deck, scrambling up the conning tower rungs and into the submarine. In the panic, one of the men tripped and fell through the hatch head first onto the unforgiving steel deck. 
and had to be dragged out of the way, unconscious and bleeding. One of the planes strafed the conning tower as the last lookout tried to jump into the ship, bullets punching holes across his body. He fell dead on top of the hatch, pinning it open and making diving impossible. Brower scurried up the ladder and tried to shove the body from the opening, but it wouldn't budge. Blood poured into Brower's eyes as the second Sunderland made another pass and blasted the dead soldier, shattering bones and tearing off bits of body parts. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty good battle going on there. Yeah. And, uh, but Brower um, uh, was able to, to get out of that one. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of close calls here. Yeah. And, uh, that's John Wynn Miller reading from The Hunt for Peggy C. And we'll be back uh, with more of our conversation right after this word from our good friends at the Graduate School of Writing at Spalding University. Spalding University's low residency MFA in creative writing prepares students to publish, produce, and find professional success. Alumni publish books with top presses, write for television and film, and have plays produced around the country. They work as editors, professors, media professionals, content developers, and more. Writers thrive at Spalding's Naslin Mann Graduate School of Writing. Learn more at spalding.edu slash MFA or email schoolofwriting at spalding.edu. John Wynn, uh, there, um, you've done such a marvelous job with, uh, with the research. And, and if anything, I mean, the story is uh, terrific and interesting and uh, surprising. Um, uh, but I, I honestly, from uh, just my personal standpoint, the, the research that you did uh, from uh, the buttons on uniforms uh, to the Jewish uh, burial ceremony for uh, the rabbi to the description of those fighter jets that we heard uh, just a moment ago uh, is just beyond uh, what most uh, can uh, write today. And I just want to ask you about the, uh, the the research of that. And I, I did have somebody tell me, I read uh, the other day, and, and she had sent me something about another uh, book that, that we were asking her to read. Uh, but she said, um, in, in this, these are her words, that, that um, about historical fiction, that um, in a particular work, not your work, but in this particular work, and she was just using this as an example, that the writing was historical fiction in a perplexing way. It's more like almost speculative fiction. And I just wanted to ask you, because I think I have my own opinion of what she was saying, um, what's your uh, opinion of, what's your perspective on the difference in those two terms? Uh, one is general, so uh, as opposed to specific. So one of the, some of the traps I tried to avoid is I never said he held his gun to his head. I said it was an MP, MP40 submachine gun or it was a Luger 08, or it was a PPK, uh, I can't even remember what the yeah. various guns are, but, yeah, but that's the same, the point. Thing, same yeah. thing with the planes. I would tell you uh, how many motors they had, what the motor was, what rounds they were firing, yeah. what caliber. Uh, as you mentioned, the buttons on the uniforms, the, the, the medals, 
because I didn't want anybody to read it, particularly sailors, to read it and say, that's not true. That's yeah. not the way it happens. Right. You can't, Even in fiction, you wanted to be sure that you were factual. Oh, absolutely. That's uh, the difference, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I'd, uh, and I went to a pretty extraordinary lengths uh, to do that, not only in my research, but uh, I actually hired a, a guy who was a, U, uh, a submarine warrant officer to read it to make sure I got all the uh, nautical uh, information right and also how submarines work. And he actually spotted some things I never would have caught, and it was in none of the mm. books. So, for instance, I, have a, I had a scene where one of the characters was walking on the deck whistling. He said, you can't do that. I said, why? He said, you can't whistle on ships because when they communicate during storms or when the uh, intercom is out, they use the bosun's whistle, you know, that the thing they pipe you on board with. Uh, So you never uh, (laughs) whistle. And there's also a difference between saying, I, Captain, and I, I, Captain. I said, what? (laughs) And so if it's a standard order, so helmsman, uh, port 103 degrees, and the, the helmsman would say, I, Captain. Uh-huh. But if he were to say, uh, you know, I want you to go port, but then also uh, reverse the engines and go starboard, uh, he would say, I, I, Captain, <laughs> which means I understand and I will comply. Uh-huh. Uh, so there were these little yeah. things that, I mean, wow. I was just utterly upset. How did you find him? There is a uh, group for writers called Reedsy.com. Really? Where you can go and hire editors. You can no hire kidding. illustrators. Uh, you can hire, uh, I hired a development editor. So I hired uh, a, a fellow military novelist yeah. who had been an, uh, an editor at Random House to read my book, not to copy edit it, but to improve it by things. Well, this doesn't make sense, or yeah. they wouldn't. Yeah. They wouldn't. They wouldn't say yeah. this. Uh, so, and you, um, and and when they made those recommendations, you you took their recommendations. Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Uh, there were a few cuts that just killed me to make, but they were right because <laughs> yeah. I, I I like to explain things, and they would say, particularly my development writer, so that takes the reader out of the story. Mm. You're slowing the story down. Yeah. It's interesting what you're writing about. So, yeah. so this, was, uh, this was part one of a trilogy. Yes. And you have finished part two and three? Yes. Part two is turned into the publisher. He's, he bought it. It'll come out uh, a year from October. And just this week, I finished the third volume. Um, I have no idea how I did it. Uh, I mean, I, I don't, I'm not terribly disciplined. Every morning I'll get up and I'll sit down and I'll start writing. If I get a couple of hundred words done, I'm pretty happy. If I get nothing done but research, I'm pretty happy. I just fear it's lucky to be able to, you know, dream. Who else gets to sit down for a good part of the day and daydream and then do cool research about stuff and just go, wow. Are you always a morning writer? Pretty much so, yeah. And Uh, how many hours? Three or four in the morning, maybe a couple in the afternoon. It just depends on how it's flowing. When I have my tennis matches, uh, <laughs> but you're not on deadline. I mean, you weren't no. on deadline for the third one because you haven't even gotten the second one published yet. No, and it was odd when I turned in the final version of the first one. The publisher said, "You really just need to keep writing." I said, "Okay," and again, 
and I have no idea where the idea for the second one came from, but I knew the opening and I knew the end and I sort of knew some scenes in the middle, but I didn't know any of the rest. And yeah. so I had to do all this research. Um, and I was able to use some of the books I'd already read, but so you're going to make us uh, readers who enjoyed the first one so much uh, to be sure and pick up two and three. Is that what you're? Is yes, that, is yes, that what I would, this is I would, about? I would like that very much. I love. You're guaranteeing series. a spot at the Kentucky Book Festival for the next three years. <laughs> wow! Right, How smart is that? Uh, yeah. And my paperback version comes out uh, in October. My publisher yeah. has told me so. Yeah. Um, when you finished uh, number three, were you sad? A little bit because, and my wife Mario kept saying, "Now what are you going to do?" I said, "Well, I'm going to rewrite, you know, <laughs> edit." But it, uh, and I won't give anything away, but it, uh, it, it was a real journey, and uh, I really came to enjoy and like the characters. Uh, and the way I write, as I mentioned, I don't know the beginning. I know the beginning and the end. Is I'll work my characters into a corner. And then I'll spend a couple of days, how am I going to get them out of here? And I do more research on technology mm-hmm. or on uh, what did other resistance members do? Uh, how did they get the bombs into their site? How did they smuggle them in? Mm-hmm. So it's all based on uh, what was possible. And in most cases, what was done. Uh, occasionally, I exaggerate things, but it's within the realm of possibilities. Do you think you're locked into this genre, this um, generation, if you will, th- this particular uh, style of, of, of book uh, for I, the rest of your writing career? I don't know. Uh, I, I kind of have to wait to see what the inspiration is. I had started a memoir years ago just because I've had such a bizarre career um, and uh, haven't really gotten back to it. Uh, I, find, I came up with a title. Uh, it was nothing but magic, and uh, which is from Tom uh, Tom Sawyer, uh, and that uh, Huckleberry Finn talks about Tom Sawyer. Everything about him is nothing but magic. Hmm. And uh, forgotten that actually. And I produced a movie with my son-in-law, then son-in-law, called Band of Robbers. Yeah. which was a modern retelling of Huckleberry Finn and Tom Sawyer as adult petty criminals looking hmm. for that one big score. Hmm. And it uh, it did pretty well. Are those movies, I saw those on your website, are yeah. they still available? Uh, Band of Robbers is. I'm not sure where. Like on I a think, streaming service? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the cool thing about it was uh, that Sandra Bullock saw it and loved it and then hired my then son-in-law and his brother to direct her last movie, to write and direct uh, *The Lost City*, hmm. which they did, and now they're they're very big time directors hmm. being hired by everybody. So yeah. I claim full credit for their yeah. career. Well, let me ask you one last question, and, and this just goes all the way back, full circle, back to to journalism. Um, a lot of journalists, um, I think, um, end up writing whether they retire from whatever journalism they've been practicing, broadcast, newspaper, uh, all of us have been involved in the classroom at some mm-hmm. point. Um, we're uh, we're stuck in, I mean, 
people that listen to this broadcast know that I'm uh, my MFA is in creative nonfiction. I mean, I went to Spalding to learn to be a better writer, but but to yeah. be a, a, a nonfiction writer. Yeah, uh, I couldn't write the. Uh, I've a, I've tried to write a short story. Uh, I, I'd love to to sit down and, and try to write a novel, but most journalists are writing columns and 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 memoirs, and they're doing research on writing biographies. Yeah. Um, uh, and you went this separate, different way. <laughs> and are you glad about that? Yeah, yeah. I'd like to say my career has always been crazy, and a lot of it's just accidental. It just I kind of stumbled into one thing or another, uh, and I've enjoyed all of it. Yeah. Uh, you know, all the places I've been, all the various jobs as a reporter and as an editor, and even as a publisher. Uh, over on the dark side, as we say in newspapers, you know, on the business side, I enjoyed it. Yeah. And I'm, I'm having a lot of fun doing this. Uh, it's something I'd always wanted to do. I, 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 and as a journalist, you know, you, you love stories. You love to tell stories. You love to inform people. Yeah. You're the one, you know, like the town crier. <laughs> it's yeah. just, it's a thrill to, to be able to do that. And it's just, with me, it's never been a struggle. Well, uh, the book is uh, just terrific, and I, I just I hope people will uh, come out to stop by, uh, talk with you, and um, I know that readers of uh, The Hunt for Peggy C. Uh, will look forward to, uh, to number two and number three. Okay. Uh, just, I know that's going to happen. So uh, thanks a lot. I've been talking to John Wynn Miller. Uh, he will be uh, one of our uh, big authors at the Kentucky Book Festival on October the 21st out at Joseph Beth Booksellers. We want everybody uh, within uh, earshot of this and beyond to uh, attend. It's going to be a great day, 10 to 4, um, all day long, uh, children's activities, uh, book giveaways for the kids, uh, all genres, uh, children's tent. Um, it's just going to be a terrific day. It's one of the best days that Kentucky has to offer. So come out and enjoy that with us, and we will see you next time on Think Humanities. Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 51 years. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Join us next week for a new episode of Think Humanities.